discover the inherent power of God in you. Whether there are challenges or not, we are still the same. We are constant. God is constant. God does not change. And that is the life that we have received. He says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is the same life we have also received. We are also the same yesterday, today, and forever. What kind of life? We, we, we are the same because we have the same life with Christ. So when you think about God, think about you. Because everything he is, that is why he told Abraham, he said, I am your, your exceeding great reward. God gave himself as a reward to Abraham. And we are the seed of Abraham. Therefore, we have inherited God himself. Listen to Pastor Oti Boateng as Christ is magnified in you. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Wow, I want to welcome you once again to Studio B. We are enjoying ourselves here in the Lord. Tonight, I want to share with you concerning the New Jerusalem. Wow. wow. Which is the, the ultimate God's, God's desire. The New Jerusalem is the beginning of eternity. Wow. You know, there's eternity past and there's eternity future. Before God said, let there be light, he dwelt in eternity. Eternity dwells in God. And God created eternity. You know, and there's a future eternity that's going to come. And the new Jerusalem is the beginning of that new eternity. So in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, we see something very nice written there. Hallelujah. Before we go, I want us to share a word of prayer, and then we'll continue. Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for the power of your spirit. Thank you for the ministry of your word and the ministry of your spirit. Thank you that we receive your word with meekness and with gladness. Thank you that our hearts and our minds are full of joy giving us to hear your word. Thank you that we are educated by your spirit and we have great understanding tonight, even in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. All right. So, Revelation 21, verse 1 says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Wow. So God is going to create a new heaven. This heaven that you see here is not going to be there another heaven will come which may not look like this we don't know how it's going to look like but it may not look like this then it says and a new earth that new earth may also not look like this it may look a little bit different from what we are seeing today it's anything is possible it says and i saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea continue verse 2 it says and i john saw the holy city New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. So, in that new heaven, John said he saw the holy city. He called it New Jerusalem. You know, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven coming down from God out of heaven. So, in that new world, there are three realms. There's a realm of heaven, there's a realm of earth, and then there's a realm of the New Jerusalem. The New Jerusalem is a hanging city that hangs in between the heaven and the earth. He says, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming from God out of heaven, but he never spoke about it getting and staying on earth. It's a hanging city that hangs in the skies. Wow. What a shock. Isn't it amazing? You know, and if you read on, you'll see so many things. I'm going to make us read the whole of Revelation chapter 21. Um, but 
not for now. Okay, go to the next verse, Revelation 21, verse 3. It says, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Wow! It says, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he would dwell, God would dwell with them, with men, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. Amazing. This has been the desire of God since eternity past. God desired to stay with man, to live with man, for man to be with him. So if you read in Genesis chapter 3, from verse 8 to verse 9, we see in the book of Genesis, or the book of beginnings, we see God coming down from heaven to relate with man, to relate with Adam in the cool of the day. Genesis 3 verse 8 says, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. This was what God was doing at that time. He would come in the cool of the day and come and, come and fellowship with Adam. And they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden of the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. God among the trees of the garden. Verse 9. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? God was looking for Adam. He was looking for man. You know, because God's desire has always been for man. To be with man, to be in man, to stay with man, to have man. You know, because man is actually, remember, he says, your creator is your husband, isn't it? Man is actually the wife of God. Wow, what a shock. God has always wanted to do with man. God's dwelling place is not in the heavens. And his dwelling place is not in the earth. He wants to be with man. That is God's desire. Amazing. Look at Isaiah 66, verse 1. Isaiah 66, verse 1. So God has always sought to live and dwell with man. And he gets that in the New Jerusalem. Okay? This that say the Lord. The heaven is my throne. So heaven is not God's dwelling place. Heaven is just the throne of God. And the word throne means administration. The place where he administers his, uh, his rule, his commands, his authority. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Says, that says the Lord. The heaven is my throne. Then he says, and the earth is my footstool. And he says, where is the house that you build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? Where is the place of my rest? When God lost Adam, he began to look for a place of rest. Amazing. Isn't it amazing? He began to look for a place of rest. So God appeared to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. And when he appeared to Moses, he was dwelling in a bush. He was dwelling in a bush as though he didn't have a place to stay. Isn't it amazing? So in Exodus chapter 3 from verse 1, look at Exodus 3 from verse 1. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. Wow! Next verse. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not bent. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. Verse 5. And he said, draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Verse 6. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, 
and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. God showed up in the bush. The angel of the Lord created a fire, and God showed up in the bush. And spoke to Moses and said that, I am, I wanted to read it to verse 6, so that you see that he's the same God, that same God who called himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, was the same God who found himself in the bush. Amazing. It's called the good will of him that dwelt in the bush. God was looking for a place to stay. And he needed somebody to help him to get a place to stay. Because the heaven is his throne. It's his place of administration, but a place of his rest. A place of his enjoyment. Nobody stays in his office. Nobody um, makes his office his house. No, your office is different from your house. Your house is a place where you can rest and relax with your wife. And enjoy with your wife. Have great excitement. So God was looking for a place. Amazing. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. yeah. So he was, when he revealed himself to Moses, he was dwelling in a bush. Looking for a place to stay. So the deal he had with Moses was that he would go and bring out his people so that he can come and worship him. So that he can build him a tabernacle where he will live. He will live amongst them. Temporarily. Isn't it amazing? <laughs> so... Um, if you look at Exodus chapter 25 from verse 1, Exodus 25 verse 1, Moses and the children of Israel built God a tabernacle at his instruction. So from verse 1, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart. You shall take my offering. God is taking offerings. And this is the offering which you shall take of them, gold and silver and brass and blue and purple and scarlet and fine lining and goat's hair and ram skins dyed red and badger's skins and shitting wood, oil for the light, spices for anointing oil and for sweet incense. Continue. Onyx stones and stones to be set in the effort and in the breastplate and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Wow! Look at verse 9. Look at verse 9. According to all that I showed thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of the instruments thereof, even so shall ye make it. He says, I will dwell with you. So God had a temporary dwelling with Israel. And if you've read your Bible carefully, you see that every time Israel moved, God moved with them. Isn't it? Look at Exodus 29. Go to chapter 29 from verse 42 to 46. You see it some more. Exodus 29, 42 to 46. This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord, where I will meet you to speak there unto you. I don't know if you are seeing it. Go back to verse 42. Maybe you are not really looking at it. It says, this shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Before the Lord. Remember, he said, he told them to build a sanctuary where he would dwell with them. Then he told them that they should build him a tabernacle. Isn't it? Now he's saying here that offer a certain sacrifice that will be a continual offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. Where I will meet you to speak there unto you. Verse 43. And there I will meet with the children of Israel and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. Continue. And I will sanctify the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar. I will sanctify also both Aaron and the sons to minister to me in the priest's office. Then he says, and I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. 
Next verse, verse 46. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God. That brought them forth out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. You see, it says, I brought them out of the land of Egypt so that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. So this was, this was God's desire. God actually met Moses to get him a place to stay amongst his people. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And God showed Moses a tabernacle that had the same pattern as what was designed in heaven. So that God can move from heaven. Because heaven is just his administration. It's his throne. He's looking for a place where he can rest. Go back to Isaiah 66 verse 1. It's nice. Look at Isaiah 66 verse 1. Last year the Lord, the heaven is my throne. And the earth is my footstool, the place where I rest my legs. Then it says, where is the house that he built unto me? And where is the place of my rest? He was looking for a place of rest. And he told the children of God that, the children of Israel that, listen, I'm going to dwell amongst you. I'm going to be with you. And it's so clear, it's called the church in the wilderness. If you read their story in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Intronum, you see the presence of God with them. You see that God was with them. God showed himself on Mount Sinai. You see, there's something called the breath of the holies. In the holy of holies, the tabernacle of old, Moses' tabernacle, as revealed to him by God to build, comprised of three parts. It had the outer court, or four parts if you like. There was the place of the Gentiles, which was outer, outer. Then there was the outer court. Then there was the holy place. Then there was the holy of holies, where the Ark of Covenant dwelt. And two chariots, the Ark of Covenant was a box that was overlaid with gold and had some two cherubims sitting on that particular ark. You know, it had a seat. The Ark of Covenant had a seat on top of it with two cherubims or two angels, certain types of angels that, you know, sat on it. And the Bible says that God will come and come and dwell in the midst of the two cherubims. Amazingly. And if you stood behind the tabernacle of old, you could hear someone breathing inside the Holy of Holies. So it's called the breath of the holies. You know, you could see the Holy of Holies breathing. It's like someone is inside, but no human being is there. Breathing. Amazing. <laughs> God was actually with them. You know, because that is what God desires. God wants to be with man. God does not want to stay in heaven. He wants to be with man. That is why he's following, he's chasing man all the time. Because man is his wife. is his bride. He doesn't joke with man at all. Amazing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So God showed them to build the tabernacle so that he can be with them. He can dwell with them. I just showed that to you, isn't it? If you remember, go back to Exodus chapter 29. Let's read 45 and 46 so that you see it once again. Exodus 29, 45 to 46. It says, and I'll dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. Next verse. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God. That brought them forth out of the land of Egypt. For what purpose? So that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Wow. So that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. So as time went on, you know, and this was a temporary residence for God because God did not stay there morning, afternoon, evening. You know, the presence of God would leave and then come. You know, so if you remember this same place, Exodus 29, you remember we started reading from verse 42. Go back to verse 42. It says, This shall be a continual offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. A continual offering. Mm, continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord, where I will meet you to speak there unto you. So the door of the tabernacle of Moses was a meeting place for the Lord. It was called the tent of meetings, if you like. You know, God would meet them there because he would go and come. Amazingly. 
But that's not what God desires. He wants to stay forever. Wow. <laughs> he wants to stay forever and be there with man throughout. So as time went on, the tabernacle of Moses changed to become the temple of Solomon. So in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 14, look at 1 Kings 8, 14. And the king turned his face about and blessed all the congregation of Israel. And all the congregation of Israel stood. Continue. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which speak with his mouth unto David, my father, and as with his hand fulfilled it, saying, Since the day that I brought forth my people Israel out of Egypt, I chose no city out of the tribes of Israel to build an house, that my name might be therein. But I chose David to be over my people Israel. And it was in the heart of David, my father, to build an house with the name of the Lord God of Israel. And the Lord said unto David, my father, whereas it was in thine heart to build an house unto my name, thou didst well that it was in thine heart. Nevertheless, thou shalt not build the house, but thy son that shall come forth out of thy loins, he shall build the house unto my name. And the Lord has performed his word that he speak. And I am risen up in the room of David, my father, and sit on the throne of Israel, as the Lord promised, and have built an house for the name of the Lord God of Israel. Continue. Then he says, And have set there a place for the ark, wherein is the covenant of the Lord, which he made with our fathers when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. Amazing. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. And if you've read your Bible, you'll notice that the day that the temple of God was dedicated, you know, the ark of covenant was the most important artifact or the most important tool in all of the tabernacle of Moses. You see, and as at this time, the tabernacle of Moses had been because Israel had come to the land of Canaan and they were living in various cities, they were all not in the same place, you know. And the tabernacle of God was not pitched anywhere, it had stopped at this time, even before this. The ark of covenant had been taken by the Philistines, you know. And when David came, he went to take it back. And when he brought it back, he didn't build the same tabernacle that Moses built. God showed him to do another type of tabernacle, which was a tabernacle of praise and worship only. The only thing that was in there was the Ark of Covenant. And they were worshipping outside. It was just a place of worship. Amazing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So at this time, a lot of things had changed. You know, and God had told David that he was going to use his son to build him a temple where the Ark of Covenant would be. So Solomon said that, I have set there a place for the Ark. I have set there a place in the temple, the Ark, for the Ark, wherein is the covenant of the Lord, which he made with the fathers when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. Hallelujah. Remember, in the Ark of Covenant was found there. There were three things that were found in the Ark of Covenant. You know, there were three things that Moses, God led Moses to put inside the Ark of Covenant. The first one was the Ten Commandments. The, the tablets upon which the commandments were written was inside the Ark of Covenant. Then there was Aaron's rod that budded. You know, Aaron's rod budded in front of the Ark of Covenant. They kept it inside. It was a dead, a rod is a dead wood. But it was kept in front of the Ark of Kona because there was a dispute concerning who was called of God, you know. And overnight, that particular uh, rod, Aaron's rod, budded. The 12 tribes of Israel brought their rods as well. And only Aaron's rod budded. It grew and bore fruits overnight. <laughs> you know, so they kept, they kept that particular rod in the Ark of Covenant as well. And then they put some of the manna in a golden pot. God told them to do that. They made a small golden pot and put some of the manna that was falling down every day. And then they put it inside the Ark of Covenant as well. It's called the hidden manna. 
just to remind them of what God had done with them throughout uh, the land during their journeys, their 40-year journey into the land of Canaan. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Maybe some other time we can study all those things. You know, so God told David to tell his son to build him a temple, and he did, so that he can still be with Israel. Do you see? But if you read your Bible very carefully, you will notice that God does not dwell in tabernacles or temples. That is made with hands. That is not his desire. So in Acts chapter 7, verse 44. Look at Acts chapter 7, verse 44. Acts 7, 44. This is Stephen preaching. And as Stephen was preaching, he quoted some scriptures. He says, our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness. You remember this? As he had appointed, speaking unto Moses that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen. Which also our fathers that came after brought in with Jesus, or Joshua, he's talking about Joshua, into the possession of the Gentiles, whom God drove out or drove out before the face of our fathers unto the days of David, who found favor at God and desired to find a tabernacle for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How be this, the most high dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as seer the prophet. Next verse. Heaven is my throne. And earth is my footstool. What house will you build me? See the Lord. Or what is the place of my rest? In other words, even a house, the temple, no matter how beautiful, it was very beautiful. The Bible says that the temple was exceedingly magnificent. It was very nice. But God was not pleased to dwell there because he does not want to dwell in a place where man's hands have made. So Stephen quoted what is written in Isaiah 26, if you remember. Verse 1. So let's read Acts chapter 7, 48 to 49 once again so that you see it. He says, how be the most high dwelleth not in temples made with hands. He does not dwell in temples made with hands. As saith the prophet. Which prophet? Isaiah. Next verse, verse 49. Heaven is my throne. And the earth is what? Is my footstool. What house? But what house will you build me? Saith the Lord. Or what is the place of my rest? Verse 50. Has not my hand made all these things? My hand made all these things. How can I dwell in something that my hand has, my hand has made? What a shock. So God was not happy to dwell in temples. Look at 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 8. Remember, we just read 1 Kings chapter 8. Let's read from verse 27 this time around. Whilst Solomon was dedicating the temple, he was saying so many things. After he said so many things, he said in verse 27, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. How much less this house that I have built it. So even though he had built the house, he knew, he was a prophet himself. He knew that this is not much for God. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. Even the heaven of heavens cannot contain him. How much more this house that I have built? How much less this house that I have built? I mean, it's nothing. Wow. Isn't it amazing? Look at Acts chapter 17, verse 22. Acts 17, 22. God does not dwell in tabernacles or temples made with hands. He doesn't. He's looking for something higher. Paul stood in the midst of Master's hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. He had been to Athens and he had seen them doing all kinds of things, worshipping all kinds of things. Then he says, For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. Next verse 24. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Wow. Have you seen it? God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Verse 25. 
Neither is worship with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. He is all and you know. God is eternal. What can you do for him? Which temple can you build him? Which blocks can you use to build God a temple? Which blocks? Is it the one with cement? Or the one with gold? Solomon built one with gold, but it was still not enough for God. What Solomon built was the nicest temple ever that ever existed. Even when he finished, he said, that, how can this be God's house? This is not good enough. Even the, the one who built it, the day he finished building it and was dedicating, he said that this building is nothing. Remember, First Kings chapter 8, verse 27. Let's read it again. So that you see Solomon's confession. He says, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. How much less this house that I have built it? How much less this house that I have built it? He now he realized that it's like, what I've done is not much. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, so when Christ came, remember Jesus is referred to as the word of God tabernacled in flesh. You know, Jesus came for a purpose. Jesus was God walking on the earth. In Romans chapter 9, I read it to you some time ago. Romans chapter 9, let's read from verse 4. 3, let's read from verse 3 so we understand. For I could wish that myself were cast from Christ and my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Then he says, who are Israelites to whom pertaining the adoption and the glory and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the service of God, and the promises. Then he says, Whose are the fathers, and of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came? Then he says, Who is overall? God blessed forever. Amen. Jesus is overall, and he is God blessed forever. So as Jesus was walking around, Jesus was actually God walking on the earth. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Look at First Timothy 3, 16. First Timothy 3, 16. He says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God, this is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. God showed up in the flesh. What was his name? Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was of God, and the word was God. Then he says, let me read it well for you. Go back to John 1. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word is God. Then verse 2 says, The same was in the beginning with God. Verse 3. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. All things were made by him. And without him, without the word, was not anything made that was made. The word that comes out of God's mouth became flesh. So in verse 14, the Bible says that, And the word became flesh. John 1, 14. And the word was made flesh, or the word became flesh, and dwelt amongst us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh and walked on this earth without controversy. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. God was manifest in the flesh. So Jesus is God. Amazing. First John chapter 5, verse 20. Look at 1 John 5.20. These are scriptures I love so much. 1 John 5.20. He's God. He's God at once. <laughs> Look at 1 John 5. It says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him that is true and we are in him that is true even in his Son Jesus Christ. Then it says, This is the true God and eternal life. The Son is the true God and eternal life. Wow! What a shock. What a shock. 
He's God. Say he's God. He's God, he's God at once. <laughs> For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. The Mighty God. The Everlasting Father. The Prince of Peace. A child is born and his name is called the Everlasting Father. Can you imagine? A child is born and his name is called the Everlasting Father. His name is also called the Mighty God. So Jesus is God. As Jesus was walking around, Jesus was God manifesting in flesh, moving around trying to get man once again. Trying to incorporate man once again. Trying to get man's attention. Trying to marry man once again. So Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, he says, For I'm jealous over you with godly jealousy. Hey, for I have espoused you unto one husband. Look at it. For I'm jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ, to Jesus Christ. So there's a day coming when you shall be presented to Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ is God. He's God blessed forever, ever and ever. Amen. This is the true God. So don't mix it in your mind that Jesus is a demigod or is something. Jesus is God. God manifest in flesh is called Jesus. The word manifest in flesh is called Jesus. Yeah, that's what it is. Okay? So as Jesus was moving around and doing all the things that he was doing, he was showing the works of God. So whenever you read about Jesus, when you read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see what God is. Because all the things that are written in the Old Testament are shadows of the reality. Jesus is the reality. So you can't read the Old Testament and pinpoint God. You have to read the New Testament to know who God really is. Read about Jesus. Know how Jesus is. One day, one day Jesus was walking in the streets and a leper came to him and he asked him, you can heal me if you will. Then Jesus said, I will. And he touched him. Prayed for him and the guy became clean. Yeah. That shows you that God is always willing to heal. When it comes to healing, I mean, don't think twice about it. God's position is that I will. That's in Matthew chapter 8, verse 2. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou will, thou can make me clean. If you will, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Look at Jesus' answer, verse 3. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will. If you know that Jesus is God, you know that God always wills to clean. Then he says, be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Hallelujah. Wow, what a blessing. So when Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, the day Jesus died on the cross of Calvary and he said it is finished and died. In Matthew chapter 27 verse 50. Look at Matthew 27 verse 50. Something remarkable happened. Matthew 27 50, 50. Jesus, that's God, right? When he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the goose. I said, day God died. Jesus, when he had cried with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain. This temple was not even the temple that Solomon built. The temple that Solomon built had been destroyed long ago. This was another temple that was built by Nehemiah, Ezra, and all those guys. Do you see? Uh-huh. And the Bible says that that temple was even was so low in glory. The glory was so low, like there was, the gold was not much. After they built it, the older people who had seen the temple of Solomon were weeping when they saw the new one. And the younger generation were shouting because this was all they had seen. And there was a mixture of tears and shouts of joy at the same time. Wow. And that, you see, there was this veil that 
separated the Holy of Holies where God was from the holy place. The holy place had the menorah or the candlelight and then had the altar of incense and then had the table of shoebread, a place where God wants to dine with man. Can you imagine? The table of shoebread had bread. Shoebread means showbread, a bread for showing, for show. So it was arranged six this way, six that way with plates, empty plates and forks and spoon and knife and all of that lying down. Cutlery lying down. Nobody eats there. It's like God is preparing a table for us to eat with him. Do you see? And then the outer court where the brazen bowl was and then the burning altar or the brazen altar, if you like, was found. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But God was in the Holy of Holies where the Ark of Covenant was. And there was this curtain, thick curtain that separated the two places. Do you see? Thick curtain. And in the temple, that curtain was so big that you could not just tear it. No, no human being can tear it. You need a bulldozer to tear it because it was very, very thick. And that particular curtain was what separated God from every other person. Do you see? And the priest of old, the high priest of old, will enter that particular curtain, will go to that curtain once every year. And when he's even going, he goes with a rope tied to his waist. Just in case he has sinned and he has done something wrong and he goes in there. And God strikes him and he dies there. Nobody can go there because he's the only one who's qualified once a year to enter. And yet, if, if God sees a dead person in front of him, he will kill everybody. Amazingly. <laughs> so they had to tie a rope around his waist. And that high priest had bells around his skirt, his dress. His dress had bells around it. So that when he's moving, they can hear the chimes of the bell, the sound of the bell. Then they'll know that he's alive. When they hear that the bell has stopped moving, then they know that there's something wrong. Then they put, so the rope was tied to his waist whilst he was in there, and then the other end was put outside. So that big men, boles, eh, muscle guys can pull him out if he should die. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But on this faithful day when Jesus died, when Jesus gave up the ghosts, verse 51, Matthew 27, verse 51, says, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent or torn in two from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quick, and the rocks rent. The veil tore into two from the top to the bottom. Nobody could go and sit on it and tear it. This was a sign that God had finally found a way, had finally found a place he has desired all this while, which was you and I. Wow. Because Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection represented the coming of a new generation, the coming of a new type of man. So in John chapter 12, Look at John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verse 20. Let's read John 12, 20. It says, And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came therefore to Philip. Greeks, they came to Philip, which was of Bethsaida, of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we will see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. Next verse. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew. And again, Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. So they both went to tell Jesus that, oh, there are some Greeks that have come to come and come and see you. They've come all the way from Greece. If you know your maps, you know the distances between Greece and Israel. It's not a small thing. They had come all the way to come and see Jesus. Next verse. And when Jesus heard it, he said, he answered them, saying, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. I mean, how is this one an answer to the question that they have given to him? That was some Greeks are here to see you. It pained him. 
that people have to move from places to come and come and see him. He knew he was a son of God. He knew he was God on the earth. Why should someone move all the way from Greece to come and come and see me? It pained him. So he said, Jesus answered them saying, The eyes come that the son of man should be glorified. Verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruits. What is Jesus saying? How can this be an answer to their question? Jesus said unto them, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die. There's a time coming I'm going to be glorified. This is the time for me to be glorified. The time for me to fulfill what I came for. Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die. It abided alone. In other words, as I'm walking around here on earth, God is only in me because he, is, he was God. Jesus always referred to his father who was in him. My father which is in me, he doeth the works. My father which is in me, he doeth the works. My father has spoken to me. He was always referring to the father which was in him. He had God in him because he was God himself. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So he said, except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abided alone. He is the corn of wheat. He was a corn of wheat and he was alone. He said, except that corn of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it will be alone. It will be the only one that will have God in him. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. In other words, I'm going to die. And when I die, it will mark the beginning of plenty people coming who have God in them. Who have God living in them just like God is in me. Just like I'm moving around with God for people to come and come and see me. Henceforth, you will not have to come and come and see me. Because wherever you are in the world, you will have God in you wherever you are. Because you'll be a tabernacle for God to live in. So on that day when the temple veil was torn into two, God got out. When Jesus died, the temple veil torn into two because God was tired of staying in there. It was finally time for him to enter into humanity. Enter into human beings. And fulfill what he had so longed for and so desired. Wow. wow. What a shock. Do you like what I'm sharing with you? It's amazing. So you and I became temples of God as soon as we gave our lives to Christ. As soon as we got born again, we became the temples of the living God. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, look at 1 Corinthians 3, 16. Very interesting statements that are made. I mean, you cannot, you cannot just make such a statement. It has to be divinely inspired. It has to be from God. How can you say that God is living in a man? It happened live. He says, knowing not that you are the temple of God, and that the spirit of God dwelleth in you? Can you imagine? No, you not. He says, don't you know? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, he says that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new. Immediately become born again, you become a new creature. And as soon as you become a new creature, you become a temple. That new creature is a temple made for God. A temple not made with hands. Made for God. For God's indwelling. For God's indwelling presence. So scriptures like Colossians chapter 1. Look at Colossians chapter 1 verse 25. Colossians 1 25. It says, Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you, to fulfill the word of God. Verse 26. Even the mystery which was hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. There was a mystery that was hidden. Nobody saw it. It was hidden. Then it says, to whom God will make known, to the saints whom God will make known, what is the riches of the glory of this particular mystery among the Gentiles? What is the mystery? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ, the mystery is Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah can now be in you. 
Christ can now be in you. Why? Because of the new birth. Because of what he did. Because of what he did on the cross of Calvary. Because of his death, burial, and resurrection. God can now dwell in humanity. What he desired long before he made Adam. He made Adam to be indwelt. Adam is called a type or a glove. Okay? Romans chapter 5, verse 14. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 14. Adam was made as a glove to be fitted in. A glove has the shape of a hand. But a glove is useless until the hand gets into it. So he was made a glove to be fitted into by God. If he had partaken of the tree of life, he would have had God come into him. He didn't have God dwelling in him. Adam had God dwelling with him. God was around him. God would come and come and fellowship with him. And God tested him to see what he would choose. So that he could, because God didn't want robots. God does not want robots. He wants people who willingly allow for him to dwell in them. Can you imagine? So in Romans chapter 5, verse 40, the Bible says, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. Then he says, Who is the figure or the image or the type, okay, of him that was to come? Let's read the Amplified. I'm sure the Amplified will enlighten us a little bit more. He says, Yet death held sway from Adam to Moses, the lawgiver even over those who did not themselves transgress a positive command as Adam did. Adam was a type, a prefigure of the one who was to come. In reverse, the former destructive, the latter saving. <laughs> the former is Adam, the latter is Christ, right? He says he was a type, a prefigure. He was a glove, that's what he's saying. He was a glove meant to be fitted into by God, but it never happened. By virtue of Christ's obedience, Jesus' obedience, he says, by one man's sin, many were made sinners. And by one man's obedience, many are made righteous. By virtue of what Jesus did, many of us, Jesus said, when I die, when I fall into the ground, I'll come out as plenty people. When you put one grain of corn down into the ground and you plant it, it doesn't stay there. It grows and bears plenty corn. And that's what Jesus was talking about. So on that day, you received Christ. You became the temple of the Holy Ghost. And you became a place, a sanctuary that God has designed long ago and desired long ago to stay in. Isn't it exciting? Yeah. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. Look at Galatians 2 20. And it says this particular thing was a mission that was hidden in the ages past. I mean, it was something that was unthinkable for man, that God would dwell in them. But it has happened now. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. This is the mission that was hidden before. It says, as for me, I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ liveth in me. Christ liveth in me. Christ liveth in me. Now that you are born again, you have Christ living in you. You have been made as a temple of the Holy Ghost. And he is sleeping inside you. That is why in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, why I read to you, 1 Corinthians 3.16. Look at 1 Corinthians 3.16. Oh, hallelujah. hallelujah. It says that knowing not that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you, we are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. The Spirit of God dwelleth in you. He dwelleth in you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 to 20. God, the Spirit of God is God, right? Yeah. He's living inside you. Are you born again? Yeah. He's inside you. He's inside you. He's inside you. He says, What knowing not that your body is the temple of God, of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God. And then he says, And ye are not your own. 
I don't know if you are seeing it. Says, don't you know? Like, what are you talking about? Don't you know that you are your that your body, this body, you, not just your spirit. I don't know if you get it. It's not just your spirit, your body. The first one is in reference to your spirit. This one is in reference to your body. What know you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. Verse 20. For you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God. So our spirits and our bodies are for God. Our spirit is a temple, and our body is a temple. Can you imagine? It's not just your spirit. Your body is also a temple of the Holy Ghost. Wow. Second Corinthians 6, verse 14 to verse 16. That's why I cannot be sick in this world. No matter what sickness knocks on my door, it is impossible for it to dwell in my body because my body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. My body is the temple of God. And he says you cannot take the temple of God and mix it with other things. It's not going to work. What is dedicated to God is for God. You cannot have other things inhabiting it. You cannot have other things being accommodated in it. God cannot live in your body with cancer. God cannot live in your body with diabetes. God cannot live in your body with hypertension. God cannot live in your body with headaches. God cannot live in your body with pain. It's God's temple. He needs it to do what he wants to do. Wow. I will never be poor in my life. I will never be sick in my life. Because the Holy Ghost is inside me. Because my body is a temple of the Holy Ghost. Look at 2 Corinthians 6.14. It says, be you not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? He calls it righteousness. And he calls them unrighteousness. Then he says, and what communion has light with darkness? We are light. They are darkness. Next verse, verse 15. And what concord has Christ with Belial? He calls us Christ. And he calls them Belial. Why? Because he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So now you can be called Christ. Why? Because Christ is inside you. And because he's inside you, you are now one with him. Amazingly. And what concord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has he that believeth with an infidel? Then he says, and what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living. Ye are. I said, he said, ye are. Not you will be. For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will, I will dwell in them, and I will walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wow, what a shock. Say, I'm the temple of the Holy Ghost. I'm the temple of the living God. Wow, not the dead God. So God is alive in you. God is alive in you. God, God has accomplished his utmost desire of staying a man in Christ. Of having man becoming his temple. So we are individual temples. Every child of God is a temple. And together we are the body of Christ. That corporate temple in which God dwells. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Look at John 17, 22. Jesus was praying. This is the Lord's Prayer. You can read the whole of John 17. You see the actual Lord's Prayer. Hallelujah. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. Verse 23. Then it says, I in them, I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Wow. I in them. Who is I? The I is who is Christ, right? He says, I in them, Christ in you, 
Then it says, and thou in me, God in Christ. <laughs> so Christ is in us, in God, if you like. I mean, however you want to see it. I in them, and thou in me, that they may know, they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and has loved them as thou hast loved me. So how does the world know that Jesus has been sent by God? The fact that he's present in us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I in them, and thou in me. It says, our life is hid in Christ, in God. What a shock. Brother, never see yourself as nothing. Never see yourself as, I don't know what I'm going to do with my... You are, you are too expensive. You are the temple of the living God. You are the temple of the living God. God dwells with you. Always remind yourself. Sometimes you forget. Always remind yourself. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So God's desire of dwelling in man has happened in Christ. Now, God does not only want to dwell in man. He also wants to dwell with man. Not only in, but with. With man. So immediately become born again, you become part of his temple that he's constructing. We are individual temples. Okay. Let me show it to you. So God is building. He's building something. He's building his temple, his tabernacle, which is called the New Jerusalem. Okay? He's building it for the purpose of dwelling amongst men. Remember, Revelation chapter 21. verse. Right now, we don't see God. We know that God is in us. We know that Christ is in us. But the world does not see it. It's not seen physically. Did you get it? But there's a day coming when it is going to be seen physically that God is with man, is amongst men. He's there, physically speaking. Staying with them. <laughs> so Revelation chapter 21, from verse 2, he says, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. Then he says, Prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. Next verse. When he saw the New Jerusalem coming out of heaven, he says, I heard a voice out of heaven say, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them. So the new Jerusalem is the tabernacle of God, which God is building for the purpose of dwelling amongst men. Now, you see, during this time, when God creates the new heaven and the new earth, okay, there will be human beings who will be like Adam. Adam was in, in the earth. There will be inhabitants of the earth. There will be inhabitants of the heavens and there will be inhabitants of the new Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem is the tabernacle of God, which is under construction presently. And the material for the new Jerusalem, okay, remember, go to verse 2, go back to verse 2. Let me just read the whole thing to you and I'll pick some things out of it for you. It says, I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. Then it says, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. So in this place, it says, as a bride, okay. Next verse. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, shall be with them, and be their God. Next verse. And God shall wipe away all tears, right? From their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Continue. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. 
and he said unto me, right, for these words are true and faithful. Now, let's jump to verse 9. Verse 9. And they came unto me, one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, come hither, I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. I'll show you what? The bride, the lamb's wife. Next verse, verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Have you seen it? So who is the lamb's wife? Who is the lamb's wife? The lamb's wife is the new Jerusalem. So the new Jerusalem is the lamb's wife, isn't it? So the new Jerusalem is the church prepared as a bride for the Lord. I don't know if you are, if you are understanding. Go back to verse 9. <laughs> Go back to verse 9. Revelation 21 verse 9. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. Do you know the bride, the lamb's wife? Yeah. Who is the bride? The church is the bride, isn't it? Yeah. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Verse 26. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Go to verse 30. Ephesians 5.30. For we are members of his flesh and of his bones. Verse 31. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Verse 32. Then he says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So Christ and the church are bride and bridegroom. I've been, been talking about this all as well, isn't it? So finally, 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 the bride <laughs> of the Lamb shows up and shows up as a city. Can you imagine? Yeah. We show up as a city. It's called the transformations of the church. The church, as we see it today, is the body of Christ, isn't it? Yes. And that body of Christ changes to become the bride of Christ. Yes. It grows to become the bride of Christ. That is married to Jesus on that day. Yes. After they are married, that bride becomes the army of Christ. <laughs> that follows Christ in his conquest. Or becomes the corporate crushing stone that crushes human government. And after it has done that, it becomes a mountain that fills the whole earth. This, these are the transformations of the church. The church is first of all a church, which is the body of Christ. Then it becomes the bride. And then becomes the army, which is the corporate crushing stone that crushes human government. And becomes the mountain that fills the whole earth. And changes to become the new Jerusalem that comes out of heaven. So you and I, are actually being constructed to be the new Jerusalem. So as soon as you become born again, you are made a stone. Okay. Let me show you the various aspects of the new Jerusalem. Okay. Now, the new Jerusalem is under construction, like I said, and it has a foundation. It has a chief cornerstone or a chief foundation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let me show you. First Corinthians chapter 3. Let's read verse 11. Paul said, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Let's read from verse 10 so that we understand it very well. He says, according to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builder thereon. 
but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. Continue. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is the foundation stone. It's called the capstone for the construction of the New Jerusalem. Amazing. So the New Jerusalem is actually people. It's a city of people. You and I. Everyone who ever trusted in the Lord whilst he was alive is actually a part of that city. And Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. Whenever you are getting a building done, there's a chief cornerstone upon which every other thing stands. And Jesus is that chief cornerstone. Isaiah, look at Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. Therefore, that says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make his. Who is he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. He's prophesying about Jesus. He says, Therefore, that says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make his. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Look at Psalm 118. Verse 22. Psalm 118. Psalm 118, verse 22. Oh, hallelujah. hallelujah. It says, The stone which the builders refuse is become the headstone of the corner. The stone which what? The builders refuse is become the headstone of the corner. Remember, John chapter 1, verse 11. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. Christ was that chief cornerstone who came and was refused of the builders. <laughs> he came unto his own. And his own received him not. Go back to Psalm 118. Go to verse 23 now. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our sight. Go to Luke chapter 20, verse 17. Luke 20, 17. So Jesus is the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone upon which the new Jerusalem is constructed. I don't know if you're seeing it. It says, and he beheld them and said, what is this then that is written? This is Jesus talking. The stone which the builders rejected, the same is become the head of the corner. Next verse. Whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken. But on whom it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. Some other time we'll talk about this. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Look at Acts chapter 4 verse 10. That stone came and was rejected. Acts chapter 4 verse 10. Verse 11. Be it known unto you all, this is Peter talking, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you be crucified, whom God raised on the dead, even by him does this man stand here before you whole. Verse 11. Then he says, This is the stone which was set at not of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Wow. Isn't it amazing? Go to First Peter chapter 2. Peter talks a lot about that. First Peter chapter 2. Let's read from verse 3. Go to verse 5. Let's read 5 to 8. So we don't read much. We have so many things to read. It says, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Next verse 6. Then it says, Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone. Elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. You know, it's the same scripture. Next verse. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. Next verse. And the stone of stumbling and the rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. So this is what Jesus meant when he said that the one who falls on the stone will be broken. If you, if you depend, he says, 
I lay in Zion a sure foundation which cannot be moved. He that believeth shall not make his. If you believe in him, you will not make his. When you follow, falling on him has to do with believing in him. It will break you into pieces. He will break you and remold you. But then if you don't believe in him, that stone will rather crush you. It will fall on you and it will grind you. That is judging the whole earth. That is why he's this is described as a stone that comes to destroy all of humanity. He crushes humanity. Have you seen it? So he's that precious cornerstone that is laid as a chief cornerstone upon which all of God's building is built. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And the disciples that Jesus had when he was here on earth are also other types of foundations that are laid upon the foundation, the chief cornerstone. So in Ephesians chapter 2, I'm showing you, the New Jerusalem is actually made up of people. And I'm showing you who those people are. Okay? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 to verse 20. Ephesians 2, 19. It says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Verse 20. Then it says, And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Then it says, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Have you seen it? So Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone, but then there are other foundations that are upon the chief cornerstone, which are actually the apostles and the prophets. Wow. Wow. So if you go to Revelation chapter 21, when he was describing the new Jerusalem, he started talking about the foundations of the new Jerusalem. Look at what he said. Revelation 21 verse 14. He says, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations. The wall of the new Jerusalem had 12 foundations. And in them, the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. In the 12 foundations were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So every foundation had a name written in it. And the name that was written in it was one of the names of the 12 apostles. All the 12 had names written and they had the 12 apostles' names written on it. Can you imagine? Even the gates of the New Jerusalem had the names. Okay, let me show it to you. Let's talk about the gates. <laughs> Revelation chapter 21. Let's read from verse 10. Revelation 21. Let's read from verse 10 to verse 12. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And the light was like unto a stone, most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal, God's color, the color that God ex- exudes as a city on his throne is jasper. So the whole of the new Jerusalem exudes the color of God or the glory of God. That's why he said having the glory of God, it had the glory of God because it had the same color as God. So in the new Jerusalem, God and people, that is us, are so one that there's no difference. There's no difference. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> look, look at verse 12. Oh, it's a beautiful city. He says, and it had a wall great and high, and had 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and names written thereon, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. So all the gates of the new Jerusalem have the names of the 12 sons of Jacob, who formed the 12 tribes of Israel. So you will see the tribe of Naphtali there as a gate. Naphtali is a gate. Wow. Joseph is a gate. Ephraim is a gate. Manessa is a gate. Simeon is a gate. All of them are gates. Can you imagine? What are you going to be in the new Jerusalem? Will you be a grass or you are going to be a temple? I mean, what are you going to be? It's all dependent on you. On Sunday, we'll talk about some of those things. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's a beautiful city. 
and it's, com- it's composed of people. People. So in, in, in 1 Peter, if you remember, chapter 2, so I was talking about the, the chief cornerstone, which is Christ. Then I was talking about the other foundations, the 12 foundations, which are the apostles, right? And I was talking about the gates of the New Jerusalem, which are actually the, the children of Israel, the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Hallelujah. So the New Jerusalem is actually a conglomeration of all of the saints of old. With the church, anyone who was saved at any time or any disposition is part of it. Before this world, I showed you the last time, there was a world that then was. And there's a world that is, and there's a world that is going to come. And the world that is going to come is what I'm talking about now. Do you see? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> Apart from these sites, there are other uh, parts that are actually made up of Christians, specifically Christians. So if you read in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse, verse 5, remember. Okay, let me read from verse 3 to verse 5. 1 Peter 2 from verse 3. Just, if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, verse 4, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, then it says, ye also, ye also, as lively stones or living stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So as soon as you become born again, you are the temple of God, right? You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, that temple is actually a stone. You are born again as a stone. Or like a, uh, like a block, if you like. Like a brick, if you like. You see, we are all stones. We are, all, we are called living stones. That's why you don't have to grow old. Stones don't grow old. If you understand this revelation, you don't have to grow old. Your face does not have to wrinkle. What water do to the stone? It's your bare body. I mean, it can't do anything to it. No matter how long the stone stays in the, in the water, it's still the same. So as a year, so is your strength. As you are beaten by the situations of life, you grow stronger and stronger. Physically, he's talking about your physical demeanor. Yeah. This he also as living stones. We are all living, we are all stones. Then he says, we are being built up a spiritual house. So every stone is supposed to be constructed into a house as part of the New Jerusalem. So the houses in New Jerusalem, in the New Jerusalem, are actually you and I. <laughs> the mansions that they are talking about is actually you and I. What a shock! We are the houses. Okay, maybe you don't believe me. Go to Ephesians chapter two. Let me show you some more. Ephesians chapter two. We're reading verse nineteen. Now let's read all the way to twenty-two. Ephesians two from verse nineteen to twenty-two. He says, "Now therefore, ye are no more strangers. See, I'm no more a stranger." Ye are no more strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints. Then it says, and of the household of God. We are fellow citizens of the saints and of the household of God. Verse 20. Then it says, and you are built upon. You are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. We are being built. So every Christian is under construction. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 9. Then we'll come back to this. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 9. It says, for we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. Please, you understand? Let's read from verse 5. Maybe you don't understand what what he's saying here. Go to verse 5, then read all the way to verse 9. Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. Verse 6. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Verse 7. So then neither is he that planted anything, neither he that watered, but God that giveth the increase. 
Verse 8. Now he that planted and he that watered are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. So Paul is saying that those of us who are preaching, for instance, as I'm preaching to you, I could be sowing or I could be watering. Whatever it is, it is God who gives the increase. It is God who causes the increase to come in everybody's life. Your spiritual growth and spiritual increase is actually by God. But then, before God can bring the increase, men must sow and men must water. So Paul said, I and Apollos, I planted and Apollos watered the church. I planted the church. I started the church. But Apollos watered the church. Apollos preached and taught you for you to grow up. Whatever it is, the one who planted and the one who watered is nothing. They shall all receive their reward on that day. Do you see? But God is the one who gives the increase. And God, that is, he's the most important person. Then he goes on to say, because you are God's building. Go to verse 9. Then he says, for we are laborers together with God. Those of us, as I'm preaching now, I'm a laborer together with God. We don't work for God. We work with God. I'm a worker together with God. You see, look at 2 Corinthians 6, 1. Then we'll come back. Keep your finger here too. He says, we then as workers together with him. Have you seen it? Beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. We then as workers together with him. So we work together. Ministry is a work together with God. Not a work because you can do what God does not want. But when you work with him, you do what he wants. Hallelujah. So Paul said that we are workers. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 9. For we are laborers or we are workers together with God. Then it says, ye, those of you who have been preached to, those of you who have been talked to, I'm also a building of God. And you have, he says, you are God's husbandry, or you are God's farm, or you are God's garden. So some of us will be gardens on that day, and some of us will be buildings on that day. Let's read the Amplified. For we are fellow workmen, joint promoters. Hallelujah. Yeah. We are joint promoters, laborers together with and for God. Then it says, you are God's garden and vineyard and field under cultivation. Then it says, you are God's building. You are God's what? Building. So all of us, we are buildings. We are being constructed. As you hear the word of God, you are being constructed. As you do what he wants you to do, you are constructing yourself. We are born again as stones, but that stone must be converted into a house. Hmm. Go back to Ephesians chapter 2. We're in verse 20 now. It says, And are built upon the foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Verse 21. In whom all the building fitly framed together, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom all the building, you and me and him and the other and the one watching, all of us, we are buildings, in whom all the building fitly framed together, groweth, we grow as a building unto an holy temple in the Lord. What holy temple is that? He's talking about the new Jerusalem. We grow to become the new Jerusalem. We change to become the new Jerusalem. Next verse, verse, verse 22. Then it says, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. We are builded together. He's building us. So we are under construction. That's why you need to hear the word. That's why you need to pray in the Holy Ghost. That is why you need to do what he wants you to do. Because you are actually a building. You are part of that holy new Jerusalem. You see, the new Jerusalem was measured in, it was a square. It's a square, actually. It's a perfect square. Let's read it. Just to make a point, okay? That's verse 16. Revelation 21, verse 16. And the city lieth four square. And the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with a reed. 
12,000 furlongs, the length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. It's a perfect square. Let's read the Amplified. The Amplified shows you the actual size. It says, the city lies in a square. Its length being the same as its width. And he measured the city with his reed. 12,000 stadia. Do you understand that? 12,000 stadia, about 1,500 miles. Or 12,000 stadiums. A stadia is plural for stadium. No, so. Uh-huh. So it says 12,000 stadia. Like 12, stadium, plenty of stadiums put together. 12,000 put together. Or about 1,500 miles. How much is 1,500 miles? It's plenty. It's about 2,000 kilometers. Very big. Then it says its length and width and height are the same. Why is it a perfect square? It's a perfect square because in the Old Testament, the tabernacle of old had the holy place. The holy of holies was a perfect square. It was measured in 20s. It was 20 cubit. 20 cubit, this way, this way, this way, this way. It was a perfect square. Do you see? Yeah. Huh. And it was a representation of the Holy of Holies. Wow. Huh. So the New Jerusalem is actually the Holy of Holies of that time. Wow. The heavens, the new heaven will be the holy place. The earth will be the outer court. And the New Jerusalem will be the Holy of Holies because that is where God will be. Wow. And that is, what God, that is what will be God. Please, do you understand? Yeah. <laughs> so we are under construction, brother. Tell everybody you're under construction. We are, under construction. We are being constructed. We are being built up to be an holy habitation of the Lord. An holy habitation. Where there's no difference. There's holy habitation of the Lord. Holy of holies of the Lord. The new Jerusalem is actually you and I. Adorned for God. Amazing. So all the works that you do. You see, all the things that you do. I'm going to talk about it. On Sunday. All the things that you do for the Lord. Remember, you can do works of gold. Works of silver, works of precious stone. Isn't it? In the New Jerusalem, there's no silver. Everything is in gold, in pearls, or in precious stones. These are the three things that are found there. There's nothing in, in silver. Because at that time, redemption is done. Silver represents redemption. So all the things that we do to redeem others to the Lord will be turned into gold. It will shine as a divine life on that day. The Bible says that the whole street, everything, the whole city shines like gold. And it's as clear as crystal. Why? Because all the inhabitants of that particular place are divine. It's amazing. Revelation 21 verse 18. It says, and the building of the wall of, of it was as of jasper. And then it says, and the city was pure gold. Like unto clear glass. The whole city is pure gold. Everything in there is pure gold. Amazing. What a shock. <laughs> This, this is something you need to live in expectation of and live desiring to be part of. You see, and it, it depends on you. It depends on it, your, your, what you do for the Lord will determine where your placing will be in that particular place. Remember, Jesus told the disciples that you are the ones who have followed me. Okay? You have followed me in my tribulation. You have gone with me. He says, in the regeneration, you shall sit on the 12 thrones of the tribe of 12 tribes of Israel, judging. That's what he told them. He said, Matthew, he says, because you have been with me throughout, you will sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. He didn't even tell them that their names will be written. They will be the ones who will be the 12 tribes. They, they had no clue. They were just working for him. They were just following him blindly. They didn't know what was going on. But they were going to become the new Jerusalem, the foundation of the new Jerusalem. Oh, Matthew chapter 19, verse 28. Oh, it's so nice. So be challenged. Okay? 
And Jesus said unto them, Matthew 19, 28, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me, then he says, in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. What about us? <laughs> Revelation 3, 12. Revelation 3, 12. It says, him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. Him that overcometh will I make what? A pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall go no more out. And I write upon him the name of my God. And the name of the city of my God. Which is new Jerusalem. Which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. Why? Because this guy really worked for me. So I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. He will be a pillar. Now in the new Jerusalem there is no pillar. There is no, there's no temple. Let me show it to you. The whole new Jerusalem is a temple. So what he's talking about that if you overcome. He will make you a pillar in the temple of his God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hmm. Kola adede. Go to Revelation 21, 22. Oh, hallelujah. hallelujah. Says, and I saw no temple therein. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. The Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of the new Jerusalem. Then he says, If you will come, I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God. You will think about it. I don't know what your position will be like. I don't know if you understand. Since there's no temple. Then go to verse 23. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb is the light thereof. Have you seen it? The Lamb is the light thereof. There was no temple therein. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. So if he says, if you've come... I'll make a pillar in the temple of my God and I'll write my name upon you and I'll write the name of the city upon you, New Jerusalem. What do you think? What do you think is the interpretation? It will not be a small thing. So God has a very high place for you. Very, very high place for you that he has destined for you to have. I don't think you want to miss it. Yeah, because some people will be a grass, there will be grass outside. Remember, some are going to be uh, uh, flowers. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be exciting. Let me, read, let me read some more to you. I just want to read New Jerusalem things for you. What do you think? Let's read from verse 11. Okay, let, let me read from verse 9 once again. Revelation 21 from verse 9. And there came unto me one of the seven angels which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues and talked with me saying, come hither, I will show thee the lamb's wife, the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And I told you that that is the color of God, right? You can check it in the whole Bible. You see it. And had a wall great and high and had 12 gates. And at the gates 12 angels and names written thereon, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And in them, the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof. And the city lies four square and the land as it's as large as a breath. And he measured the city with a reed, 12,000 furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. And he measured the water off 
144 cubits. 144. Everything in the New Jerusalem is measured in 12s. And the number 12 is the number for eternal perfection or governmental perfection. You see, in other words, during this particular time, everything will be perfect. Everything will be perfect. There will not be anything that can reduce anything in any way. Wow. Wow. And he measured the world of 144 cubits. That is 12 times 12. According to the measure of a man. That is of the angel. And the building of the wall of it was of jasper. And the city was pure gold like unto clear glass. And the foundation of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper. The second sapphire. The third the chalcedony. The fourth an emerald. The fifth sardonyx. The sixth sardius. The seventh chrysolite. The eighth beryl. The ninth a topaz. The tenth a chrysoprasus. The eleventh a jacinth. The twelfth an amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Wow. Every several gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, as it were, transparent glass. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. So during that time, there will be human beings on earth, in the earth. They will be walking in the light of our glory with God. You see, God has saved us to show us as trophies of his grace for the world that is to come. So, Ephesians chapter 2. Let's read from verse 8 into verse 9. Ephesians 2 from verse 8. Wow. What a blessing. Let's read from verse 6 rather. And has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Then he says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. I don't know if you can get it. Let's read other versions. Maybe amplified. He did this that he might clearly demonstrate through the ages to come. I don't know if you're seeing it. He saved us for the purpose of demonstrating through the ages to come, the immeasurable, limitless, surpassing riches of his free grace, his unmerited favor, in his kindness and goodness of heart toward us in Christ Jesus. So we are going to be the evidence of the fact that he's gracious. God is good. God will use you as a trophy to show that he is good and that he is gracious. He will, he will say to the people in there, look at what I did with this person. Look at what I did with this one. Look at what I did with this one. Look at what I did with He will show you. We are the showcase of his grace. We are the trophies of his grace. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What a blessing. What a blessing. You are special. Don't kill yourself. You are special. You are too special to God. Don't kill yourself. Hallelujah. Go back to Revelation chapter 21, verse 24. It says, And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. So they will be coming. They will be coming to the New Jerusalem to come and worship and go back. And come and worship and go back. So the New Jerusalem will be there and the lake of fire will also be there. The lake of fire will be there to show them what happens to those to those who don't mind God. Let's continue. Then it says verse 25, and the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day for there shall be no night there. Have you heard this song? No night in Zion. There is no, that's what they picked it up from. 
and they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. So there will be nations on earth. There will be a Jerusalem on earth. Because God has promised a Jerusalem on earth to Abraham. So there will be a physical Jerusalem on earth. But then there will be another, it's called New Jerusalem, which will be hanging in the air. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination, or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Have you seen it? Yeah. Amazing. Then go to chapter 22, verse 1. That's the next verse. It says, And he showed me a pure river of a pure river of water of life. There's river in the New Jerusalem. Someone said, Because there's no more sea on the other side, there wouldn't be any river, only water. No, there's water, please. And he showed me a pure river of, of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb, in the midst of the street of it. And on either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded up her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So the tree of life will be available for us to partake of. Remember, I says that the one who, who overcomes, I will give him to partake of the tree of life. So we can partake of the tree. There are some things inside, but probably when we talk about the, the other things on Sunday, I'll mention some of these things. Hallelujah. hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. hallelujah. It says, and the leaves shall be for the healing of the nations. Does that mean that there'll be sickness in there? Emphatically not. It says, and there shall be no more curse. That shows you that there will not be any sickness there. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and the servant shall serve him, and they shall see his face. And his name shall be in their foreheads. They shall see, we shall see God's face. And the people in there, in that particular earth, will be able to see God's face face to face. God will not be a mystery anymore. Hallelujah. And there shall be no night there. And they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God himself. No doom so, no light problems. For the Lord God himself giveth them light. And they shall reign forever and ever. We shall reign with him forever and ever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So that's the new Jerusalem for you and I. For you and I to enjoy. For you and I to have a lovely time. All that we are doing. I'll show you what the pearls and what the precious stones and what the gold represents from Sunday onwards. So that you can, you, can, you can do what God wants you to do. Charlie, brother, it's, it's time. Sister, it's time to do something for the Lord. It's time to live for the Lord. It's time to live for the Lord. Because whatever you do has eternal rewards for you. And I don't think you want to miss anything. I don't think you want to miss anything. Hallelujah. Wow. This is what God has prepared for you and I. He's, prepared, he's preparing us and building us to become the new Jerusalem. Allow yourself to be, to be prepared. Allow yourself to be built up into the new Jerusalem. This beautiful city, that will be a trophy for many to see on that day. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Lift up your hands and just give God glory. I think we should give him glory and thank him. Give him glory and give him praise wherever you are. Thank him. 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 Give him glory. Give him praise. Give him praise. Give him praise. Give him praise. Wherever you are. Give him glory. Give him praise. Thank him. Oh, little Hushanamanelebe. Who can do this? Only you, Lord. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for saving. Thank him for your salvation. If you know all these things, all that will come to your heart is to thank him for saving you. Because of his salvation, because of what he has done for you on the cross, all these things are possible in your life. Give him glory and give him praise. Oh, we give you glory, Lord. 
Lego Hoda Palahade Velegosha Balagrasta Namande. Oh, we give you glory. We give you glory. We give you glory. We give you glory. If you can't speak in tongues and you want to speak in tongues right now, the Holy Spirit is touching your mouth. Open your mouth and just begin to speak in tongues. It's a gift from God and it's free of charge for you and I. Through that, we are built up. Since so that he that speaks in an unknown tongue builds himself up. And you're speaking in tongues right now. The Holy Spirit is constructing you. So it's, it's the Holy Spirit who constructs you and builds you up. We are being built together and as an holy habitation for the Lord. Kola Hadalabasha. Lego Lobo Give him glory. Give him praise. Oh, Father, thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for all that you have taught us from the beginning of this series or up to date. We are grateful. We have seen your goodness, your mercy, your kindness. Thank you, Father. We have nothing to say but say thank you. Thank you for understanding for everyone. And thank you for healing for everybody that is not feeling well in any way, in any form. Thank you that as we have learned that we are, the, we are a temple, we will not allow any sickness to stay in our bodies. Thank you that every single sickness in our bodies dies out completely and never comes back again. Thank you, Father, for your blessings, for healing for every individual and your blessings upon our lives, even in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you for listening. We pray that the word of God will be rooted and grounded in your heart as you give attention to the word. Kindly follow Pastor T and Love Economy Church on all social networks for more of God's word. Don't forget to subscribe to the Pastoti podcast. Simply search for Pastoti on any podcast app. Plug in and enjoy God's word. Visit our website at loveeconomychurch.org for more information. God bless.